0: Welcome back to another episode of Not All at Once. I'm Jordan Guess, and I'm Kendall Y. Hello, Kendall. Hello. Welcome to a recession, mm. or
1: according to who? Not,
0: or or not a recession. Uh, this is this is what I think we should start off with. What has happened to the meaning of words in the English language?
1: Mm. Uh, yeah is, we're uh, max gaslighting phase
0: yes okay i have to bring this up cuz literally this i mean we i know that the so we're recording july 28th it is 8:44 right this moment in the morning um so the gdp number for second quarter dropped at 8:30 um but 2 minutes ago um the bloomberg uh notification hit my phone this is the headline the U.S. economy shrinks for a second quarter, comma, raising the odds of a recession. Mm. And then the Wall Street Journal, they're a little bit better. U.S. economy shrink at 0.9% annual rate last quarter. That marks the second straight quarterly decline in GDP, a common definition of recession. So, I feel like part the, of the media is doing yeoman's work to uh, pretty much try to play I'm...
1: this down. I feel like part of the PSYOP here is the actual meta discussion. You know, it's like actually discussing what a recession is, is the PSYOP.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Rather than trying to... I I think they just can't admit it, right?
1: uh, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess politics is the, the reason.
0: I think that's a big reason. I think that there's just there's pretty much nothing good to say about the state of um, things right now. And so... I can try to steel man the, the side of the administration.
1: Okay. Um, wait, can I? I think that... Well, like, because I did listen to the, the Fed made meeting yesterday and mm-hmm. Powell was up there saying that the economy is still still doing pretty well. But I think that that's actually somewhat true. I think it's more true than like the Bitcoiners or Fintwit would would admit. I think that the economy is actually doing reasonably well. It's not to say that it's doing great, but I don't know if you can claim that it's doing terrible. Um, and then furthermore, actually the real kicker here is that um, the numbers are year over year, right? Is that how it works? What, the GDP numbers? Um, let's just assume that I'm they are. Right.
0: I th- I think that they are. No, it's percent change from preceding quarter. Oh, it's quarter over quarter.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, never mind. I was going to make so, a I was going to make an accounting argument, but I can't do that. Bam.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, first quarter it decreased um, one point six percent, and then yeah, this this quarter, and then I don't know, like I you know I don't follow the BEA um, site very closely, so it shows advance estimate. So, but I'm assuming that this is this is the real report, especially I guess if the Wall Street Journal and they're writing pieces about it. So
1: anyway, I mean, I think that, I think that, um, <clears throat> I think the economy is doing not terrible, but not great. The problem is it's trending very rapidly in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, I give like you follow Jeff Snyder's work, which obviously <gasps> we've talked, it's a matter of debate with Mr. Snyder. But I, I, I do think that he's his evaluation of credit markets is pretty, pretty, pretty uh, intelligent. It's, good, it's a good follow, and he's like shouting from the rooftop. He's like, "Oh, it's very, very bad out there right now." So, yeah, I mean, we're definitely in a recession, if you ask me. But, uh, but and we've
0: been in a recession, then, right?
1: Yeah, because most of it's lagging
0: indicators.
1: I mean, most, mostly the stock market is the most accurate signal to watch these days, S and P 500. So if you, if we look at the S and P 500 over the past year, yeah, I mean, we've been in a recession for most of the year, really. Yeah.
0: It's
1: weird how stocks, stocks are such a good metric.
0: So oh, yeah. we got a pump, we got a pump yesterday and it was kind of broad. I guess that we can talk a little bit more about, I mean, the fed raised rates again, 75 basis points yesterday.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Oh man. You know what have you have? Have you heard people refer to people as fed whispers? <laughs> have you heard this? No, I've not heard. Oh, this. it's so funny. <laughs> People were like, oh, what, what did he mean by this word exactly? I don't know. And they're like, oh, his tone of voice on this this sentence.
0: <laughs> he looked to the left and then he looked to the right after he said that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I always get a, get a good laugh at the fed whispers.
0: Yeah. And then and then you got Jeff Snyder just sitting back there laughing because – his claim is that Jerome Powell has no idea what what is going on and what can be done to, even yeah. Fix the I mean, I'm convinced there I'm problem. convinced
1: that Jeff Snyder's position is that of like he's actually making somewhat of a political. He has a. He, sorry, he has a political strategy. Like the way that he makes arguments mm-hmm. is, you know, like a political strategy is like I'm not actually going to argue the truth. I'm just going to argue um a a point of view which i think will yield the outcome that i want so you can say one thing but really you're wanting another thing right yeah that's the point and i think that that's part of just jeff snyder's shtick is that i think he's totally right in that central this current the modern central banking solution is is very very uh um inadequate like it's just like not, I think it's more of an operational concern is that he thinks that they just have no idea what they're doing. But then also, I think it's true that his whole shtick of like, oh, the Fed doesn't print money, I think that's all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like think, they... I think he knows it's bullshit too, right? You just can't really. Say it. I, well, I, yeah, I think I, I truly, I, yeah, this is my, this is my standpoint is that I think he's making a political strat. I think he's, he has a political strategy. And so, because he even says this sometimes. Whenever you, whenever you sort of read between the lines, he 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 talks often about like if you want to make if you want a certain outcome, you it's a matter of debate. It's like being on a debate team, you know. Like if you're on the debate team in high school, which I wasn't, but I kind of wish I was. So it would have been great experience. But yeah. um, when you're on the debate team, like you get assigned a position and you have to you have to steel man that position so it doesn't matter what you actually believe to be true you're just trying to steel man a certain position
0: yeah yeah i don't don't know what to think about and i never about jeff and i never know if it's like if he's just also just playing a semantics game or he uses the word deposits instead of like creating Creating like Fed deposits instead of like creating dollars. I don't know. So
1: well, I think there's a lot to be learned from him because he does like all that stuff that he says is true. All the technicals, all like the technical analysis that he does is all true. And how he talks about reserves versus <clears throat> deposits and then the Euro dollar and blah blah blah. blah. All that stuff is definitely yeah. totally true. It's kind of like there are some people that you just get really hung up on like the details, like the technicals, and sort of lose track of the bigger picture. I kind of feel like that's that's the that's how Jeff Snyder is.
0: Okay. Anyway, I think this, well, I got, I have something to bring up that I think is. Because the only, the only way, especially from the White House, that they are trying to spin the, like, we're not, you know, the economy is not as bad as people are trying to make it out to be, is the labor market, right? Everyone just wants to talk about the labor market mm-hmm. if they're trying to make that political case of, no, it's actually not that bad out there. Look at unemployment. Um, but it is Thursday, and every Thursday there is the, uh, the jobless claims report that comes out. So... Um, initial jobless claims fell by five thousand to two hundred and fifty six thousand. So that is good, but we are still um we're at an eight month high still of jobless claims looks like. so essentially and and like when I was listening to some stuff by Luke Groman this week, it sounds like labor market is is a lagging indicator anyway. So if you're trying to look at that and say, oh, look, we're actually on the come up from an economy standpoint. It's probably not the best metric. And then it might actually, I mean, it's definitely, to your point earlier, it's not, none of this is trending in the correct direction. So I don't think, especially small business, I don't think they felt the the pinch um, quite yet where they need to start making layoffs. But I could very easily see it coming. People start start really cutting back on their spending and then you know revenues are down for across the board, well, what are you gonna do? You're gonna cut the labor. So
1: yeah, totally. Yeah, I, mean, we had, I saw we had Walmart, to...
0: they came out and they said that they're already cutting their um pricing because people are switching their buying habits from, you know, pretty much down to the budget the budget items or the budget brands, I guess I should say. Mm. So I listen
1: I listened to a podcast this week with um oh what's this gentleman's name? Harold Harold Malcom? Malmgren have you ever heard of this guy? No. He's um he's an older gentleman, economist, geopolitical, geostrategic strategist. He he actually worked with um oh my gosh, why am I blanking? The guy the famous geopol politician for during the Cold War, still alive. I forget. Anyway, sorry. This guy, this guy's old, and he was on a podcast. He made the claim that um he thinks that there this you know like the second half of the year is going to be incredibly deflationary, and that prices are going to drop significantly for a lot of consumer products. And I was like, hmm, that could happen. That could happen. Like we've become sort of, there's sort of like this like overwhelming consensus of like inflationary pressures, which then sort of leads me to like the contrarian take is like, well, that means that the profitable, probably the profitable strategy is to, is to lower prices. And uh, so I don't know, we could see deflation in the second half of the year. I think that uh, we talked about this before. I think that over over five years, over ten years, we're in for an, a massively inflationary cycle, long term cycle. But you don't know. I mean, it could get really bad. The, see, deflation is where the problem is, right? Because deflation causes defaults, credit defaults, and credit defaults mm-hmm. the worst possible outcome. So, mm-hmm. and according to you know people like Jeff Snyder. The the liquidity is totally gone right now. And so we're we're already looking, we're already falling off the cliff basically.
0: Yeah. All the while it looks like, did you see the the bill that is kind of making its way through through Congress right now? Yeah. It's um... uh,
1: it's like an infrastructure bill or something, or something like that. There's like spending 380 billion or something.
0: Yeah, let's see. It's um well, you know, everyone's, everything is riding on what this man Joe Manchin does. That's right. <laughs> yes. yeah. But uh, yeah, and it he's a, like...
1: he's a senator from West Virginia.
0: Yeah. He is a Democrat from West Virginia, but obviously, uh, you know, operates in a fairly red state. So he kind of is forced um, in his own self-interest to be pretty moderate. And yeah, and I mean, pretty much has held up just about everything so far i mean he voted there was the infrastructure bill that passed last year and then i guess he did pass the or went along with the um american rescue plan that happened right when biden came into office in early 21 um but yeah like he you know he um opposed the build back better um which in a lot of ways probably saved <laughs> the democrats from a lot more um headache because you you try to you try to parse out like what if that I think it was oh that would have two, been two so, trillion.
1: That would have been so bad for them in hindsight. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: Can you imagine where we would be, what inflation would be potentially? Obviously you can never know, but I feel like there is a world where you get you get up to double digit inflation because they just went too wild. So
1: Yeah, it would be ripping right now if it weren't for Joe Manchin.
0: Yeah. So um and and all of it comes back you know a lot of what he is pushed back on has been inflation and it was just you know it's funny to go back and listen when he was like well no this will cause inflation specifically the build back better type stuff and ever and that was during the same season where everyone was um saying inflation's transitory and stuff. So um anyways, yeah, if you can get him on board, it looks like it's uh part energy Healthcare and then also some tax changes looks like they're trying to actually raise taxes um, which just does not seem like a the correct strategy uh if the economy is shrinking um seems like you would want to potentially either extend the current tax cuts that are set to expire in 25 um and then you know, really cut back on any regulation that's causing businesses to um to not uh engage in you know R and D and all that kind of stuff. Sorry I'm getting notifications in my head. Do not disturb
1: Mm.
0: okay. So so anyways we'll see how Taxes. (sighs) taxes are no fun. It is interesting though. We are like historically we are at um on the marginal rates, we are pretty low right now. Um, but, you know, I think just keeping them where they're at would not, you know, would be fine, but doing, but, you know, making them permanent, I think would probably be best case right now, but, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Cause you know, they, they definitely need to figure out a way to pay for, to pay for all their, all their stuff. So,
1: Oh, they just print the money. Just turn the printer. Well, Need a little more burr. <laughs>
0: yeah, that that is the piece about not, like that's the part that I just don't fully wrap my head around, or I can't really wrap <clears throat> my head around fully. Is like you've got the tax receipts, and then you've got the money printer, and then you've got like treasury bills that I guess also come through. Um from money printing quote unquote um but making it all makes sense in a really logical way in my head does not it doesn't fully it doesn't fully uh click sense. all the time so i mean well, I, I try to think about it in like a small community like if you just take like 100 people right and you have some taxes and i mean it makes sense From a standpoint of like, okay, you've got money that you spend as a government, and then you've got money that you receive as a government. Those are your tax receipts. And we've been running a deficit where we spend more than we take in. And then I guess you just print to make that, to make up for the difference and create T-bills that brings cash in that pays for that gap. Is that the correct way to think about it?
1: Well, think about it this way. Forget about governance and only focus on economy. If you want to, if you want to grow an economy, and you want to keep prices stable, then you actually need to increase the number of units, uh, monetary units, into the system in order to grow as the, as the economy grows in order to. See if you if you had a fixed supply <clears throat> monetary system and you're uh, think about this like see this is confusing to our generation and Gen Z or us and Gen Z I should say mm-hmm. because we live in the information world but think about the physical world in the physical yeah. world if you are growing your resources like under management basically then if you have a fixed supply money unit monetary system then each monetary unit um will measure more of the economy which means that the the value of the unit will go up over time Mm -hmm. but so if you want to maintain stable prices then you need to inject one for one monetary unit for every new real resource that comes into the economy yeah but then see the inverse is also true which is that if you if you're if your real economy shrinks which happens all the time i mean people we sort of live in this like privileged world where we think that the world just gets better every year and blah 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 but th- this is not true like it happens all the time that real resources deplete and they or they shrink, or they're somehow consumed, or whatever. They're, they go down over time, mm. and if, if that happens, then um, if you have the same supply of money, then each money will buy. Oh, I think I said it backwards earlier. I, I, anyway, you get the point.
0: Yeah, you you were. I think you were describing deflation. Right, 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 right. With a fixed supply. Prices would actually prices would go down, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, because like in like really, capital destruction happens all the time. Like real capital gets destroyed, and ultimately, what that means is that it's um everything that goes back to the the real world in some way or another.
0: Yeah, get those thermo dynamic
1: thermodynamically uh conserved
0: yeah gosh we need to get uh we need to get sailor on we (laughs) should try to do we should try to get sailor on before episode 66 so then we could beat out um we could always say that we got sailor on before um episode wise before not investment advice
1: yeah totally that'll be amazing if we could see did on. you I listen
0: think, to that episode? i think we talked a little bit maybe like i did like it a to it. little i bit.
1: did i did listen to it yeah it was good
0: yeah it was definitely uh you know because those guys are so yeah you know at least they make their money more so in the ethereum world um in transact and transact in that or at least i uh, love i love that
1: in the follow-up episode. Trung called Balau Walter Balau Cronkite for asking the hard <laughs> question. I was like Trung, you are amazing, dude! You're so funny.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, it was good. It was um, it was definitely a good conversation, and I think they handled it well because well, well, that guy doesn't th- like he'd be very difficult to bring onto a pod.
1: I think that um, the first question was amazing about how. Sailor makes this point where, you know, people know just enough to get themselves in trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that is an amazing wisdom, amazing insight. Basically, it's like commentary on naivety. Like people, mm-hmm. people become naive and they think that they know, they think that they know something when really they, they know just enough to get themselves in trouble. It's like there's always a bigger fish and, and, uh, if you're, you know, if you're swimming with the sharks, you're going to get eaten. Because um, specifically with, I've talked about this before with, like, these these altcoins, non-Bitcoin layer one cryptocurrencies. <clears throat> see, like, the thing that I see on a technical, on, like, the technical fundamentals is that, like, what these cryptocurrencies are, ETH, Solana, or Sol, I should say, AVAX like they're just like bandwidth units. Like they're just like units of bandwidth on the network. Like that's what, that's what the real monetary value is. You know, there's like, we've talked about this before where there's like two types of value. There's like, there's value that people believe has value. And then there's value, which is like utility, which is like consumption based. And, um, like, I mean, I guess people really believe that Ethereum is a money. I guess people really believe that. And I guess people, mm-hmm. you know, find me somebody who really believes that soul is a money. I mean, come on. Um, but maybe I'm sure Don't they, you? I'm sure that they exist, but like my point, I think my 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 stance is that like ten years from now, do you seriously think that people will be like oh eth is ultrasound money i mean like it just seems so unlikely to me
0: i definitely do just from just take look at it from like a religious standpoint i think that there are people who yes they will there will be people in each camp who are like our idea is the best the same as you have all the different religions pretty much all screaming that they're god is the correct one those kinds of things you know it's like a very similar
1: that's fair that's fair i think that that's true my 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 follow-up question to that would be how how many people are there though like how big how big is that relative to the market cap of the asset
0: right yeah i think it and and the more decent or the more centralized the less people right i think that's going to be Ethereum's main problem i I can't speak much to solana but yeah i think i think people are waking i I don't know i think that some people on ethereum are like is this is this really the best one but then there's other ones and there's people i know and it's mostly people who've made made money using ethereum that will never will never say a bad thing about it because it pretty much it changed their life right for sure, sure when so, um, when i see the, like the
1: ethereum like the sophisticated investors that invest in eth i see a bunch of like i don't know how to put this kindly but like they are all they're just looking for retail to dump on like i don't, I don't mean to be overly cynical here but like find me one sophisticated investor and that's bullish on ETH that like doesn't think that this is about dumping on retail um,
0: all so, right if you're listening out there you know one bring them to our attention <laughs> yeah uh, uh, well we can talk about the merger too I mean the,
1: yeah hold on let's talk about that in a second I want to say one okay. more
0: okay.
1: <clears throat> I am actually you know like I have this like this phrase in my mind which is that I am bullish on Ethereum, the network. I'm bearish on ETH, the asset. And I'm bearish on Bitcoin, the network, but I'm bullish on Bitcoin, the asset. Okay. See, it's like Ethereum actually has built a pretty significant network. Now, I would argue that an overwhelming majority of the network activity on Ethereum probably at least greater than 80%, at least greater than 80%, probably north of, if I were betting, I would say it's even north of 90%, potentially even north of 95%. I would say that a vast majority of the activity is all speculation. It is not real economic productivity, right? It's not like people are using this in some sort of consumption manner, even with NFTs, like most of NFTs is speculative, um, and most of like the the stable coin um market cap that we see all of that is primarily used in trading mechanisms it's basically like a money market mutual fund which investors and trader hedge, fund, hedge funds use in order to gain yield on their trading trading strategies mm-hmm. um so I do think that the, the the overall mark the network capture is significant in terms of the, the the magnitude, but I am skeptical on how much of that is actually real productivity, and uh, and then see the, the counter, in like Bitcoin's somewhat of like an inverse here in that like Bitcoin the asset I see a tremendous amount of sophisticated investors gravitating towards. That's the signal that I see. Like, that's the thing that I see. And I'm like, obviously, this is the thing. But ETH continues to outperform it. Anyway. um, But then, like, I'm sort of bearish on Bitcoin, the network. Like, I don't see any... I don't even see speculative activity on, on Bitcoin, the network. Right? Like, and maybe that's actually a good thing. Like, I don't know. Like, I do think that Lightning has the capacity to provide real economic productivity to, to the world, um, like industrial value, but it hasn't yet. And it's not even really close, frankly, but yeah. no, it's going to
0: take a long time because, but it, the, the thing that I think that's so frustrating for, for Bitcoiners is that it really does. It really would solve a lot of problems. Um, Pretty quickly too, just just from a purely like transferring value standpoint. Um, but I think I think the thing that we can't get over is the volatility. Um,
1: so. Yeah, I was I've been thinking I have this idea in the back of my head. Maybe I'll write about it at some point. But I actually think that there's a narrative to be developed, which is that all of this cryptocurrency movement over the past decade. Is actually a story of unregulated exchanges okay. that's the that's the story here the story is not like oh eth has you know they're the merge blah blah, blah. who gives a shit about any of that <laughs> tell um, us
0: how you really feel <laughs> quit holding back kendall uh
1: <laughs> I, I think that there are really, really profound technical innovations in the in the crypto space, but I think, in my opinion, is the the meaningful ones actually occur within Bitcoin. But um, anyway, my my point was that these unregulated exchanges, have re- it's re- really that's the thing that has captured the world. If mm-hmm. you didn't, ha- if you didn't have these exchanges which traded twenty four seven. With basically no regulation um then if you didn't have that then this would not be this like that's that's the biggest engine that's the biggest force in this and i think that that actually drives a lot of the volatility i think that i think that basically the crypto exchange industry is a giant like fiat based liquidity addicted game. I think it's a giant casino. I really do think it's like a giant casino, and Bitcoin mm-hmm. is included within this, right? Mm-hmm. That's the part that sucks. That's the part that I hate is that Bitcoin is a part of this. Um, and it's all a giant casino, and I think that there are good things to that because I think that the world. Understanding how an order order book works, how you have like it's not like there's just a, a set price, like there's a free market which you have to go. You have bids and asks, and I think that that's interesting. But um, but it's just a there is no real like I can be overly cynical here and say like what actually gives Bitcoin value, right? There is mm-hmm. nothing backing Bitcoin really, um, and and like the monetization process of of these things becoming having value is really just this giant casino <laughs> in the digital world where people are looking for a greater fool
0: right so mm. i mean i think if i had to nail down what is backing bitcoin it's i think it goes back to real world energy
1: Totally, totally. I totally agree with that. I think that that is actually, that's the thing that, that's the reason why I think Bitcoin is the thing and it's the thing that'll be here for a
0: thousand years is the energy footprint.
1: And then it's like-
0: And Ethereum has that right now and they're shooting themselves in the foot by getting off of that.
1: That's what's so bizarre to me. I mean, like, I understand there's like, there's going to be a very powerful, let's not like be naive here. There's going to be an extremely powerful narrative, which is that, Ethereum is carbon neutral, basically, right? And then Bitcoin is just dirty, blah blah blah. I think that that's actually very powerful. I don't think it's good. I think it's very bad, but I, but I think that the narrative is like the sales pitch is powerful. but yeah. anyway, it's just so shocking to me because I think I really think that what I think that um <clears throat> what we've seen with coinbase for the past few weeks is the it's like the first shot being fired the first shot heard around the world in the crypto exchange business and all in the i've I've never been more bearish on crypto exchanges i told you i, I exited my coinbase position because i came to this conclusion i was like i really do think that most of crypto is a giant casino and it's basically fueled by these exchanges and um, if you if you think that governments can't stop that from happening, I think you're totally naive. I think that they definitely can. I think that they've done it before, not for crypto, but in many other markets, and they will do it again. Yeah. No. Um, so.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. Of like, we've we've not globally, we've not really been able to participate in a true free market, really for a very long time. It feels like and um specifically bitcoin feels like the really the only true free market that's out there and so you get all of the you just get all the bumps in the road with that you get all the good and all the bad um with that coming into play so
1: anyway um but yeah, yeah. like sorry not to be i got emotional there um <laughs> the uh I do think that Bitcoin, like the energy backing of Bitcoin is the thing. It's the thing because the, the ability, if you just like, if you try to like take your head away from all the, the brain fog that's included in just like mainstream news and everything. If you just look at like the, the, the idea of being able to take electricity and convert it into money, that's an extremely novel idea. And that has tremendous implications for the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I've been, uh, I've been digging really deep into Marty, Marty's podcast. He just had somebody on who was talking, who was talking, you know, about the stranded energy piece. And then I don't know if you, I sent it over, but it was during one of our arguments over text who so might've gotten lost, but it was uh, an <laughs> interview that Peter did uh, with a guy who was, he's running a company that's, Essentially they're a landfill um like they're a landfill company, but they're using methane that that seeps off of landfills, they're capturing that and then converting it into um, you know, using it to power ASICs and and do Bitcoin mining. I'm just gonna get that guy's name real quick. We can put it in the show notes. That mm. one was really uh really interesting though. So yeah, I think the energy <clears> piece <throat> is like it is going to be so important but it is so difficult still to um to explain to people mostly because energy is already a very difficult thing for people to understand and then put this <laughs> combine it with bitcoin this also a difficult thing to understand it's like you know it just compounds and people just glaze over so i was having coffee with a guy and he's you know he- heavy network type of networking kind of guy um, earlier this week. He was like, so what can I, you know, how can I help you pretty much? And I was like, well, can you help me? I'm, I'm involved with this association. Can you help me essentially get uh, connected with either Bitcoin miners or politicians and trying to explain to him why and how Kentucky can play this role in, um, in this world. And it's like, it's a difficult, it's a difficult sell right now because, all people think about is like, Oh, Bitcoin. Oh man. I'm sorry that you're involved in that. I heard it's way down, you know, and you can't get past that narrative of the price action.
1: Yeah. The the casino, the casino.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, and then I don't know, have you heard the, have you heard the argument, I guess, and maybe you mentioned it just a little bit earlier, but it's like um, how traders like regular hedge fund traders are using <clears throat> Bitcoin as a hedge to essentially, since it it always goes, it goes a multiple up or down with whatever the market's doing. They tr- pretty much put money into shorting it or whatever it's going to do so that they hedge their positions with like correlation with stock tech stocks. Have you heard that at all? It was some, I think it was another person who was on Peter's podcast. I don't know. I
1: don't listen to Peter's podcast that much, to be honest. Yeah, okay. Um great podcast though. I recommend it. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's um, essentially they were he was talking this guy. It was the guy who introduced Sailor to Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, to Bitcoin. Um he was essentially talking about how um Bitcoin is being used right now as a way to hedge certain positions, and then it just that Pretty much plays up the whole correlation to the tech stocks even more, but doing so artificially.
1: So, mm, mm. oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's weird how everything is so correlated these days. It really is like a giant, it's like a giant liquidity shit show. I don't understand it.
0: <laughs> Yeah. When nice. I saw that stocks were pumping a little bit yesterday, I was like, oh, that means it, I like literally, I was like, oh, sweet. That means Bitcoin's up. And I, yeah. and I went, I was like, yeah. oh, it is up. Perfect. So, yeah, it is really weird how everything is moving, and it's moving in similar directions. Either at some up or down. point,
1: like at some point, this is my thing. At some point, that ends. That stops. That doesn't go on forever, because like the further that goes, the more dramatic it gets.
0: And uh, I want to see like, what they, or what gold did yesterday.
1: Like what I would, what I've, what I've used to think would happen would be that. At some point, Bitcoin, like, basically all crypto would drop and then Bitcoin would surge and you would have this massive decoupling event. But I'm just like, less and less. I think that happens less and less by the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Bitcoin dominance. I mean, it's up a little bit year to date, but. I mean, if you look at one year, it's, it's, it seems like it's been same as the price, right? It's been like very trading sideways. So meaning that nobody's putting, meaning that it's not breaking out, like what you're talking about. Right.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: I think there's still just so many people out there who they, they're going through their shitcoin phase that Bitcoiners from like the 17 bull run went through and like, you know 18 19 20 and it's probably just going to take a little while
1: i kind of like curious i think to
0: know how many are how many bitcoiners today you know i feel like all of them have their story of yeah i traded in shitcoins coins and did that for a while before i really understood
1: yeah i think that, that's you know. part of my uh i'm so, i'm a little sour because i've never had the shitcoin coin face i was like mm. i jumped straight to the, I jumped straight to step three. Um, I was like, shit coins? No, 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 no. Um, but I don't know, man. Fucking shit coins, they're they annoying the piss out of me.
0: Well, let's talk about <laughs> one. Let's talk about Ethereum's merge. So apparently it's it is going to happen in September is what I think I heard someone say. So, and that's, but it originally was supposed to happen sometime in like 2017, I think, or something like that. Right. Uh, a long time <clears> throat> coming. Throat> I don't know
1: the the history, to be honest. I'm feeling overly cynical towards this right now. So <laughs> ap- apologies.
0: <laughs> um, it's weird. But, You're never cynical towards Ethereum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you, if you want to, Play the big game, then you gotta you gotta be able to put up with this shit. Yeah, um, yeah. So the merge what what are the odds that the merge happens this September? Do you do you follow the merge at all?
0: Not really. I just uh, it, if I was betting on it, I would say it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, just based off like sentiment.
0: Yeah, well, just based off of how many times it's tr- they've tried to have it happen.
1: I think originally um, that they tried to do it in like they said they're going to do it in 2016. See, this is the Elon Musk thing too. Elon Musk has been telling people that you've he, had full self driving since 2015, like seven years. Like, it's like he's literally <clears throat> on record in like 2017 being like, it's two months out, and two months you'll be able to drive your car across country with
0: no intervention.
1: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, you know, it's not even close, dude.
0: Yeah. Well, that's just the, I think that is, and maybe that's what's happening here with Ethereum, but it is the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial um, kind of just game that you have to play. You have to promise things up front so that people are like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Let me either buy your product or invest in your company. And then you go home after that, you've got the money, and then you're like, okay, so how do I actually do what I said I was going to do, <laughs> you know, and it's just a totally, cycle. Totally. So, I mean, I even see that with within my like micro business, right. Of like mm-hmm. someone brings a new, like some complicated tax thing to me. And I'm like, yeah, I can figure that out or I can, or I do that or whatever. Right. And then it's like, okay, now I've got to do some research and figure it out. So, but then on large scale, I mean, I'd be curious to know, from your perspective, I mean, it makes sense on Tesla's side. It is an actual production thing with chips and with all that kind of stuff. From your perspective on the on the actual software side with what they're trying to do, I think we've talked about it before. It's nothing crazy difficult what they're trying to do, right? Like it should not be taking this long. Well, and it seems like it's taking <clears throat> this long, maybe because of more like politics that's happening within the community not necessarily like the actual code itself oh you're talking about ethereum yeah sorry. right
1: yeah i i i mean full disclosure i've never delved into the ethereum code base and so i'm sort of speaking uh, uh you know i don't really have the, the level of authority to say what i'm about to say but i mean my perspective is that yeah like The let me put it this way Solana, Avalanche, Tezos, all these, all of these coins, they're all proof of stake. There are a lot of proof of stake cryptocurrencies out there. And so to to paint this picture of Ethereum migrating to proof of stake as this tremendously difficult, complex problem, I think is total bullshit. And like they uh because like literally probably the you take like the top three solana engineers they probably did they probably built what this quote-unquote merge is they probably built it in like a week okay (laughs) like it's not some like super profoundly difficult thing it is mostly political and i I actually i can empathize with the with the political elements of like within the community of like you have existing stakeholders and like you have to it's just like running a company and you have shareholders i totally get that The thing that i think is going on which you can't point to nobody's going to come out and say it but i think what's going on is that they're waiting for regulatory clarity
0: for Mm. ethereum
1: to be uh defined as a commodity and then they'll switch to proof of stake um but interesting that's fine yeah i mean that's what i would do right like this is not like me being uh, cynic. This is just realistic. Realistically, like if I were a, a significant Ethereum shareholder, what I would want to happen first off, I would invest in a bunch of startups that are building on top of Ethereum, and then I would um, lobby uh, the, the legislator to to define Ethereum as a commodity, and then at which point I would migrate to Proof of Stake, and then come out with the mainstream sales pitch of. Ethereum being uh, carbon neutral or, you know, not spending any near industry in, energy as Bitcoin.
0: That's just the yeah. basic
1: chess game of strategy, right?
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I, don't, I mean, September's not that far away. We've literally got, we've pretty much got one month and then I guess... I think it's probably going to happen. I think it's probably,
1: it. probably going to happen. What will be interesting is I've already heard and I've been I've raised this for the past year. I've already heard increased discussions around: uh, Is there going to be a sort of market determined fork, right? Because the, <clears throat> the way, like, really, the way that these it's sort of weird with with these cryptocurrencies. For, try to explain this. When you fork, when you have like a hard fork, you are essentially replicating the entire asset class into like a new version Mm
0: -hmm. so the old
1: the old version can still stick around like it's still and it can still have value like you're basically doubling the value right away right um but then over time if if the market the market will very quickly choose one or the other and one will go to zero basically yeah Um, not entirely though ethereum classic is still worth a lot but anyway there's already there's already uh rumblings about you know, if Ethereum does commit the merge, is there going to be a market selection of the proof of work chain? And I mean, that would be the thing that killed. If if Ethereum were to die in the next five years, I see one of two ways Ethereum could die. First way is just tremendous regulatory pressure. Like you just have a number of governments which basically come out against cryptocurrency industry just broadly and ethereum is is a uh, is in the is like the the king of this so you could have i think governments could stamp this out if they wanted to now i don't think governments could stamp out bitcoin i think that they can really hurt the price of bitcoin by a lot but they mm-hmm. can't they can't stamp it out whereas i think they, i think that with ethereum there is that risk um and then the other way that i think ethereum could die is that they migrate to poop Proof of stake and the market chooses proof of work. (laughs) And then at at which point, at which point like the whole narrative just sort of collapses underneath of itself. (laughs) Like there is, then the community will just kill itself. It'll have like a civil war. It'll just be so self-destructive. Yeah. I think that's unlikely, but it is a possible outcome.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see like how the miners react You know, if they try to cobble together um pretty much some some kind of like revolution almost where they keep what they keep the proof of work um piece going and then the proof of stake just you know becomes its own separate fork, I guess.
1: See miners don't have as there are real businesses,
0: right, that are that are engaged in you know scaled up ethereum mining right
1: well they do and they 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 certainly have like a lot
0: of power
1: but in terms of the market incentive the miners are subjected to users ultimately the users will because the miners sell the assets right like the miners right. they're not like hold, even holding the assets right um so so ultimately it's the users. What would have to happen is the users. I mean, if um, the users would basically need to say, like, we think that the only way that Ethereum reaches its ultimate goal is to stay on proof of work. You would, you would need the users to do that. And I don't yeah. see, I basically see no users doing that. I see a bunch of speculators saying that, but, and I'm one of them. Um, but uh See, the, the the problem is that if you want the only way to have to truly have a uh, a cryptocurrency which is resistant to the state if you really want to have a cryptocurrency which is resistant to state interventions it has to be proof of work you can't do proof of stake because the governments can easily call up the exchanges and basically hijack the network yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a backdoor. It's like a security loophole. Right. Um, so you have to have proof of work, but the thing is, I mean, pragmatically is, or any like Ethereum has become so, somewhat politically acceptable in like the normie politics. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, why would they go after Ethereum? Like it may, it may never be in their best interest for for states to go after Ethereum so but i don't know i mean well i just think the like I, i've actually written about this i can't i don't understand why i can't have this conversation without like getting annoyed but <laughs> but uh i've written about this I've, I've like i'm kind of of the opinion that there's sort of three tiers we've talked about this before actually there's sort mm-hmm. of three three tiers to like the future of this like crypto web. The first one is Bitcoin and like that sort of gets one of its own because it is truly resistant to state intervention. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is like financial blockchains, which is going to be like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche. All these things are not actually resistant to state intervention, but it's also possible like the state never intervenes. So that's this thing. And then the, yeah. third, the third category is like non-blockchain things. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with all that.
0: That's no, all interesting. We'll kind of keep an eye on on where it all where it all goes cuz yeah, they're going to they're going to I think they'll lose a lot of confidence if they don't do it this year. You know. I think there's a lot of people who came in in like the 2020 2021 cycle and um and have heard about this mm-hmm. and if it doesn't happen, I think they're going to lose a lot of, you know, just lose a lot of faith so we will see we'll see where Maybe. it goes
1: yeah i think you're probably right i think if i'm a betting man i think it happens i think it happens and i think it actually goes pretty well and i bet ethereum pumps because of it not yeah, financial I, advice
0: yeah i could see that <laughs> um all right let's talk let's talk a little i know what we might be getting close to time but i think we talked we wanted to chat about china just a little bit um, uh, china. china is continuing to um continuing to be in a problem a problem area for the global um just the global market i think of of real goods and stuff specifically it sounds like with uh semiconductors so i don't know do you have any any thoughts on on anything with pelosi potentially coming there in next month and stuff going to taiwan at least
1: um, I can't speak intelligently on on those matters. I I saw a good take, which I thought was interesting, which was like, what we should do is we should do we should basically call off Pelosi going to Taiwan, and then behind the scenes ratchet up like some tariffs or whatever. I don't know. I I can't really speak intelligently to the to to a lot of the geopolitics. I can speculate, but I did want to say the reason why I brought this up to you because last week i had sort of like had this opinion that um china is nothing isn't like is nothing to worry about i don't know if that's exactly the words i said but that was kind of like the the message that i portrayed mm-hmm. and the more i thought about it i was like i don't think that that's actually correct i think that it's healthier to have a healthy level of of concern towards towards china um the reason being is that China has a tremendous level of human capital. I mean, the number of the population of China is like 4X or something, or like 2 or 3X of what United States is. Mm-hmm. And human capital is is extremely valuable. I mean, it is like the most effective tool in, in gaining power is human capital. Um, and they just have a tremendous amount of it. So, I mean, I do think that... uh, Because, see, Peter Zihan has this whole sales pitch of, like, China is going to collapse from within. They have their own problems. Mm -hmm. Their population is declining. I think all of that is probably true. I think it's more true than not. But I think it's also true to, to be like, well, I don't think it's wise to to even weigh that as a possibility because it's like, you know, you shouldn't clear you You shouldn't, um, you, you shouldn't believe it until a check clears type of thing. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, the check is far from clearing. So, so yeah, I'm more skeptical of China this week than
0: I was last week. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, the, to me, it's the biggest thing that everyone should be, um, should be trying to keep their eye keep their eye on um in terms of what, what happens with Taiwan. It, it like a big it sounds like a piece of that legislation that we mentioned earlier would be um would be trying to get our act together in terms of domestically producing um semiconductors here because it is a legitimate um national security issue I think if uh if you know, Taiwan gets invaded and all of a sudden we are beholden to um to China to get those semiconductors.
1: Oh, it's a you huge, know. it's a huge national security issue. The thing that I've kind of been thinking about this past week, <clears throat> I think that the thing that I find concerning about China is the degree of ideological influence they have had on us. Um, It's kind of difficult to put into words. There's so many words to use. There's so many things that could be said, so it's difficult to articulate. But I think with things like the rise of um, the woke sort of mob is, is a product of China. And... I find that to be highly, highly concerning, actually. Um, yeah, like, it's difficult to, like, I don't want to come off as, like, um, some, like, far-right libertarian, uh, you know, dream of freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom. Because, like, I actually, I'm very much a pragmatist. I think that the world you know, centralization is effective in certain things. Um, But this concept of, like, see, even, I would say, even, like, there's an, every single presidential administration over the past three decades or so, my understanding is that there's been an increase in the number of executive orders, right? Like, Mm -hmm. It's almost like the president kind of has the ability to do anything nowadays. Like, yeah. When did that happen? Right. And like, this is the ideological thing that I'm sort of trying to convey um, that I think is a, is an export of China. I think China, nobody's perfect. We, we play United States plays these games too. Um, But ultimately You have to ask yourself, do you, like, what's your fundamental, what's like the most, this is a good good exercise for every person to to do. And you have to do this alone, like do this in your free time, whenever you're staring into the abyss. Um, Ask yourself, like, what is the most fundamental right? Like, what is the right which you think is the most important? What's the right which you could get rid of all other rights, but you had to keep you You could only keep this one. Um, you know, like is it is it uh, property rights? Is it um the right to bear arms? Is it religious freedoms? Is it uh, freedom of speech? Um you know, like figure out what that is for yourself. Um, my opinion is that the most fundamental right is the right to speech. It's the right to be able to say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um and the the reason is it's like i forget where i learned this but like in ethics there's sort of like three three things there's like what i do what i say and what i think and you see nobody can 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 tell you what to think nobody has there is no mechanism in this reality where they can go into your mind and and tell you what to think and control the way you think. Not yet. It just doesn't exist. <clears throat> it, it will never exist. It's you know, it's funny to think that it could, but it will never exist. And uh, so there's it's just a fool's errand to try and sway the way people think. It's a fool's errand. Now it works on large scales. You have big tech, AI, things like this. People are, you know, subjected to. Um. Uh, what's the word? Um, narratives, but like. Uh, anyway, information warfare. Basically, it works. But mm-hmm. my my my. Anyway, back to my point. My sort of like <laughs> cosmological point here. Um, you know, like I think that the freedom of speech is the most fundamental right, and throughout the history of the United States, that's always been something that we have like been like this is what america is about like you can come to america you can you can say whatever you want you can have you know religious freedom is actually freedom of speech really um and you can that's like the foundational thing of america and um you know like my opinion is that's the most fundamental right in china that's not the case they don't i mean my read on their culture is that the freedom of speech is not anywhere close to the most fundamental right. Yeah. So anyway, my point is, is like the ideological sort of currents, the thing, like the moving pieces here are the things that I, I'm starting to see that are concerning. And like, I'm actually a realist in that. Like it's all a power grab. Like we're trying to grab power. They're trying to grab power. I mean, you can call me yeah. cynical if you want, but that's just the way the world works. But the difference is we believe in freedom of speech, or at least we used to,
0: right?
1: And that's where i Some end. of
0: us still do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you heard Trung. You heard Trung say it loud and clear. We need to ban TikTok. Did you hear... I thought it was an interesting uh, comparison that he said... Um, Pretty much, we would never have allowed the USSR to control, you know, ABC, NBC. Um,
1: Definitely, absolutely, that would have. Been and too. right now,
0: we're allowing we're allowing China to control where, where the vast majority of young people, at least, get all of their, pretty much all of their news, their radio, their TV. Like what used to be that is all wrapped up into TikTok now.
1: It's very and, bad, dude. It's no, it's no yeah. surprise that you know the woke people are mostly young people because yeah. they're the ones subjected to this ideology.
0: Yep, and that free speech is actually not a good thing, and that you know you can have hate speech and speech is violence. Like uh, that is yeah.
1: that's cra- that's so insane, dude. That is so insane. Yeah, sticks yeah. and stones, people. Sticks and stones. <laughs>
0: yeah no it's definitely uh it is a that piece is is scary and you know I, mean, I think he said it too Trump, no matter what you think about Trump, uh trump not Trump, um you know he kind of got the ball rolling on trying to get tiktok banned in the united states and um and uh the biden administration and it sounds like you know just pretty much scrapped that when they came into power so and you know i there might be political reason for that too you know I think maybe people on the left more so enjoy the just the general takes that that occur on TikTok maybe more. I don't know. So
1: I mean, objectively, TikTok is a very fun thing, and uh, it is actually a very effective way to to communicate to the masses. And I think that there is a a market for it. I think it's a I think it's a good thing for the world to have TikTok. The problem is is who is running it. That's
0: yeah, who controls the alg- algorithm
1: yeah who who is like controlling the algorithm exactly that's exactly right
0: i don't know if this is true somebody told me this i can't remember who it was it was recent maybe within the last month or two somebody told me that um that in china they have tick, you know they have tiktok but what they get fed on tiktok is like very academic
1: i saw this yeah
0: did you see this i don't know if this is true and then what they feed <laughs> us is like <laughs> The dumbass t- jumping off twerking. a roof and yeah, yeah, people twerking. You know, pretty much things that are melting our brains here. And then over in China, they're like, you know, kids are learning, you know, mathematics and scientific method and stuff like that, stuff like that. So, if that is true, that is that that might be the biggest brain move of a of a sovereign uh, in quite some time. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's funny. But it it is so addicting that you can't, you can't really like, you can't make people get off of it. You just, you have to try to figure out either you need to outlaw it or you need to try to figure out how to pump better content into people's brains. And it's, yeah, no, it can't. is strictly from a utilitarian like perspective of like, how do we make sure that, um, you know, the next generation is equipped to lead the country lead companies innovate all these things that like we need people what you were talking about earlier like human power or human um capital what did you yeah like we need all of that human capital to be directed at you know real you know real tasks and getting moving us forward as a society and it very much feels like everyone's just fat and happy um you know, we don't have to go down the rabbit hole we did last time, but you know what I'm saying? Like essentially not focused on, on the real things. So, yeah. And it's how, and it's how empires fall, I think. So
1: maybe, maybe. Yeah. I think yeah. that, I think that TikTok has a, I think it has a use case. Uh, I think that the solution, the solution is roughly what Elon, is, Elon sales pitches sales pitches are usually, somewhat correct somewhat <laughs> and uh you know like really it should just be democratized like you you can't have people that are controlling the algorithm you can't have a small part a small group of people that have control over the algorithm you got to open source it to some degree now mm-hmm. how does it how does it work how do you open source it you know that's to be determined i don't know if it's something that's even reasonably possible but um that's sort of the ethos of crypto and Web3 and Bitcoin stuff, right, is that you just sort of, you just like, the solution is to democratize these things in some capacity.
0: Maybe it's an application that will be built on the Lightning Network.
1: Maybe. I think we need some sure. sort of like, I think like voting mechanisms are where the solution is, like DAOs, right, decentralized autonomous organizations. Yeah. Um. Something like that.
0: Because that would be even a good way to con to control speech, right? Because if someone gets onto a platform, let's say that it is more of a decentralized type of um, media platform, and someone is just creating a video where they just say the N word over and over and over again, right? Obviously, nobody wants that, or the vast, vast, vast majority of people do not want that content on that platform, right? So that one's that would be like an easy. Um, one for everyone to vote on, and just say, "Absolutely, we're scrapping that. We are censoring that person." Right. Whereas, if you say something like a lot less extreme, um, but maybe has some kind of political bent on it, you know, you probably have, you probably could not get to a majority of people um, to actually ban that speech. Right. I'm thinking of things that right now YouTube bans, and even COVID stuff. Right. People are getting banned about COVID stuff. On YouTube and stuff if it was based on a voting protocol then again it would have to be such it's like making an amendment to the constitution right it takes two-thirds of the states so it has to be such a blatant like um thing that people agree on that it can get done via voting it's just more even more decentralized than having states vote on it it's having even maybe down to individuals or users vote so I don't know Maybe somebody should go somebody should go build that. That'd be cool.
1: I do think yeah, like I said I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the voting systems uh moving forward.
0: Yeah. Well, we've gone a little long. We've been going long. I actually noticed that when I was looking at our episodes, which is no problem. I like I always like a conversation. So
1: Indeed, indeed I do have to bounce though.
0: Yeah. Okay. All righty, we'll go enjoy the recession, and uh, <laughs> we we'll we will talk to everyone next week.